Today on the Matt Wall Show, Disney ramps up its efforts to trans our children with a new children's show featuring an appearance by a menstruating man. Also, the January 6th hearings continue and will never stop for all eternity. Plus, AOC unveils the new plan for evading the Supreme Court's Roe decision. And a 29-year-old father of three beats a 13-year-old girl in a women's skateboarding competition. And that's not even the most absurd part of this story. Wait until you hear the rest. All of that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. You know, life happens fast, and it can end even faster. You picture yourself living to a ripe old age, but then you're, you know, just walking down the steps, thinking about how long your life's going to be. You trip over something on the steps. You tumble down, break your neck, and you're dead. You're gone. could happen to anyone at any time. You simply just die. People die. We all die. It's going to happen eventually. And when that happens, you want to have a plan in place. Otherwise, the state, the people you hate, the people who are trying to indoctrinate your kids, take your guns, steal your freedom— They're going to step in and take control of your assets when you're gone. They're going to determine what legacy you leave behind. Don't let the state decide what happens to you or your children um, uh, should something happen to you. Instead, take five minutes and set up a will through Epic Will starting at just $119. You choose who raises your kids. You choose who gets your useless crap after you're gone. Here's what I want you to do. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Walsh. You get a 10% discount on Epic Will's complete will package that, yes, could take only five minutes to set up. Many of our families at Daily Wire are now protected thanks to Epic Will. Why don't you do the same? you got to do this now because when you're tumbling down the steps to your certain doom, it's going to be too late then to sign up for Epic Will. You can sign up for Epic Will very quickly, but not that quick. So go to epicwill.com and enter promo code Walsh and do something for you and your family today. The most talked about interview in my film, What is a Woman?, which is available to stream at whatisawoman.com, by the way, is probably the one I had with Dr. Michelle Forcier. Uh, This, at least, is the interview that people ask me about the most, and usually their questions revolve around how I managed to sit and listen to her spew all of that insidious nonsense without screaming or vomiting or both. And the answer to that question is, um, well, only by the grace of God, especially considering the fact that Forcier is um, not just a so-called gender-affirming pediatrician, but also an abortionist. And the latter came to me as a surprise. I I didn't know that. When when we booked the interview with her, um, and we booked the interview because she was an advocate and an enthusiastic administer of chemical castration drugs for children, I didn't realize going into the interview that she also kills babies in the womb. I learned this fact about her when she listed it in her introduction as I was sitting across from her. That was one of the many occasions during the course of our conversation where I had to exert great emotional effort to suppress what would otherwise be my natural reaction to learning that about somebody. But looking back, it's really not so surprising that somebody who kills children in the womb would also be in the business of transing them a little later in life. The pro-abortion agenda naturally and quite literally bleeds into the trans agenda. An unholy alliance is forged between the two. And not just because the two together have led to the total self-immolation of the medical profession, though that is certainly the case, because, you know, because of abortion and transgenderism, now thousands of doctors have dedicated their careers to killing, destroying, mutilating, abusing, and exploiting children. Both are multi-billion dollar enterprises, enticing medical professionals to abandon their oaths to do no harm and instead do harm directly and intentionally for profit. Both are a complete inversion of medicine and of healthcare. And together, they have almost entirely discredited the medical profession as a whole. How can we trust this industry when two of its largest, most lucrative, 
most uh, public-facing branches are devoted entirely to the demolition of human life and potential. But this is not the only way that these two issues are related. More broadly, the abortion agenda and the trans agenda both attack, undermine, and attempt to erase the fundamental dignity of human life. Children are treated less like human persons and more like objects to be judged, wanted or unwanted, and then discarded or used accordingly. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently posted a comment from an Instagram follower, and the Instagram follower said to her, glad your mom didn't abort you. And she responded, thank you. I feel blessed that I was a wanted and welcomed baby and that my mom wasn't forced to birth a child against her will. Wanted and welcomed. She makes this stipulation because according to AOC, some babies are not welcomed. They are unwelcomed guests to human existence and should therefore be decapitated or dismembered and then tossed into a dumpster and forgotten. Not welcomed. Imagine saying that. Imagine actually writing that about a baby. Is it any surprise that people who feel this way about human life, about children in particular, would also be so enthusiastic about castrating, sterilizing, corrupting, and sexualizing kids? After all, if they can't destroy the child individually and personally, then they can always settle for destroying childhood. Overall, the message from the left, the message from the leftist to the child is basically this. You exist for me. If I don't want you to exist, then I will kill you. If I allow you to exist, then I can do what I want with and to you. You are not a person with your own dignity and value. You are a pawn and a puppet. You're an accessory at best, a blank canvas for me to paint whatever I want on top of. You are clay for me to mold and sculpt into whatever hideous shape I prefer. This is the message. And it's appropriate that, um, therefore, that, that while we're still in the midst of the hysteria over the Dobbs decision, the wheels of the child transing machine continue to churn. These are not two separate issues, but rather different manifestations of the same underlying cultural, spiritual sickness. And when it comes to transing children, um, there are two developments this week I think that are worth noting. One is Biden's assistant HHS secretary, Rachel Levine, the male who identifies as a woman, uh, coming out in front of cameras once again to advocate for the mutilation and castration of children. Listen. Gender-affirming care is life-saving, medically necessary, age-appropriate, and a critical tool for healthcare providers. As a pediatrician, when it comes to making sure kids are healthy and happy, I know how important care that affirmed someone's true identity can be. Um, ending abortion will not save any children's lives, they say, but sterilizing them at the age of 12 or chopping their breasts off at age 14, that will save their lives. This, this is the argument they're making. And the argument for transitioning children is supposed to somehow be even stronger coming from a man who identifies as a woman. Except the opposite is obviously the case. Left-wing trans activists are the least credible voices on this topic because they're biased by a desire to justify and rationalize their own choices. Every defense Levine offers for the transing of children is not really a defense of the transing of children, but rather a defense of Levine. We cannot go to people who are so personally invested in this issue and expect to get a thoughtful and objective analysis. 
Biden has put somebody in charge of HHS who now uses that entire government agency as one enormous tool for self-justification. That also explains what's happening in Hollywood and especially at Disney. Those uh, leaked internal videos a few months ago show left-wing LGBT people at Disney demanding that Disney devote itself to justifying, affirming, rationalizing, and reinforcing them personally and their perceptions of themselves. Disney, of course, has been tripping all over itself to oblige, which brings us to another leaked video. This one uh, also published by Christopher Ruffo, showing a scene from the upcoming Disney children's show Baymax. And in the scene, we see a robot wandering around the uh, tampon aisle at the grocery store for some reason, which sets the stage for this interaction. Watch. Excuse me, which of these products would you recommend? Oh, um, well, these are the tampons I usually use. Thank you. I prefer pads. They're more comfortable for me. Thank you. I always get the ones with wings. Thank you. Get them scented and bleach-free if you can. Thank you. Yo, my daughter loves these. Thank you. These might be easier if it's her first period. These are really environmentally friendly. Now, perhaps it's good that the trans propagandists are so allergic to subtlety because then it's never difficult to see what they're doing. Um, And so in that scene, we see a bunch of people giving their personal endorsements of various tampon brands, including a man wearing an enormous trans flag on his shirt. And it's worth noting, I think, that the menstruating man in the scene appears to be an actual man, you know, in the context of the show. He, He has the voice and build of a man, not of a woman identifying as a man. The character is obviously meant to be an actual man, a biological male who gets a period and requires feminine hygiene products. Now, even without the menstruating male on the scene, it would still be weird and gross and gratuitous and grotesque to drop this discussion of tampons into a show designed for elementary age children. But with the menstruating dude, it descends to a whole new level of deranged. What's the idea behind it? I mean, why put that in the show? Well, the idea, of course, is to confuse kids. That's the primary goal of the trans agenda. It's to make everybody, especially children, confused. It's not so much to give them like a different idea of how the world works. Because they don't really want the kids to have any firm ideas about these things at all. Just be confused. And that's it. One elementary school teacher on TikTok this week, I think, made that abundantly clear. Listen to this. A kid today looks at me and goes, are you a boy or a girl? And I was like, oh, no. What do you think? To which he said, oh, a girl. And I was like, oh, why do you think that? Uh, because you have a girl's voice. To which I looked at her and went, okay, and what if I drop it an octave? And she just went, So you're a boy? And ran off. Jamie, confusing children since who knows f***ing what. You tell she's quite proud of herself for managing to confuse a seven-year-old. Now, the child had the right idea to begin with. She saw this woman with short hair and masculine clothing and correctly assessed that in spite of dressing this way and presenting herself this way, she's still a woman. The teacher took this clarity of mind and intentionally 
muddied it. The trans cult wants kids confused and lost and out of balance. They're easier to use and manipulate that way. And to the trans cult and the left generally, that is what a child is from the moment of conception. A thing to be used and manipulated or simply discarded. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm uh, very excited to travel this summer. Have you ever thought about all of the people that um, make a vacation truly great? Tour guides, hotel concierges, bartenders, friendly countermen, you name All of the people standing behind various counters being very friendly. All these people make vacations so much better. You know, um, outstanding talent is crucial for a successful business. And if you're hiring, you can find talent for roles like these and more. At ZipRecruiter, when you try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh, ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suit, uh, suite of tools that uh, make it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. That's how easy it is. So travel to this easy-to-remember web destination, ZipRecruiter.com slash Walsh. That's where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. By the way, I have to complain. Before we get to the headlines, I have to complain about something petty for a second. So par for the course. But tell, because I want to know... And you could tell me in the comments if you've encountered this recently. I've encountered it twice so far in the last, like, maybe month. And I'm wondering if it's officially becoming a thing. I hope it isn't. But here's the most recent incident. I go into Chipotle here in Nashville um, and, you know, walk in. There's lots of people, not in line, lots of people there, but they're not in line. And they're just, like, standing around looking at their phones. And nothing unusual about that, I guess. You know, it's everywhere you go in society. So I go up to order my burrito, and the manager walks over and says that they're only taking online orders. And he tells me I have to go online and order it, and then they can make it. Like, they'll make it at that location, but I have to, I have to go on my phone and download the app and order it that way, and then they can make it. And then, of course, I say, well, why can't I just tell you what my order is? I can't, why can't I, ver- I'm talking to you right now, why can't I just tell you, I'll tell you what I want? And then he says, well, because we're understaffed. And he motions over to a group of five employees just standing around doing nothing. It's like, so wait, so you have the staff to make the order if I send it to you in written form online, but not if I just tell you? Makes no sense. Like I said, the second time I've encountered this, other time was at Starbucks at at an airport. And uh, so I just left because I'm not participating in this charade of like standing there... I'm going to stand there in front of you and order it on my phone while you're just standing there looking at me, waiting for it to come in on the screen on the other side of the, uh, of the counter. Don't participate. Don't submit to this, people. Don't do that. We, we cannot allow this to be a thing now. It makes no sense at all. And that's a perfect transition into the January, uh, the January 6th hearings. Uh, and I think it's a perfect transition because both my complaints about Chipotle and the uh, January 6th hearings are petty and unimportant, although the Chipotle thing is certainly more important than the hearings. And uh, yet again, they're, the Dems are, are trotting people out to give their testimony. And they were making a real big deal about this yesterday. This is from CNBC. 
It says, uh, former President Donald Trump lunged at a Secret Service agent in a rage in the presidential limousine when told he could not be taken to the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021. This is according to a White House aide testifying, Cassidy Hutchinson, tells this scene. She had quite a lot to say, but especially the thing that's making all the headlines is this scene that allegedly occurred in the presidential limousine where uh, she says that he was so enraged he wanted to go back to where the riot was happening and, uh, and he wasn't taken back, so he, he grabbed the steering wheel, tried to commandeer <laughs> the limousine, and he also assaulted a Secret Service agent. In fact, we have the clip of her describing this. Let's, let's watch. Once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol, and when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing. The president had very strong, a very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Okay, so we have, we have Donald Trump assaulting his Secret Service agents, trying to physically commandeer the limousine, and uh, there, there are a few problems immediately when you hear this story. And it's, uh, well, the, the first problem is it just sounds like total BS. It sounds completely bogus. There should be red flags all over the place when you hear that. Um, it, listening to her, and other people have been making this comparison on Twitter. I think it's a pretty good comparison. You're, you're really getting Amber Heard vibes. You're getting um, Christine Blasey Ford vibes from her. It's kind of like this amalgamation of the two. And it doesn't make any sense. Also, just logistically, and when you, if you're familiar with the layout of a limousine, like he's in a limousine, so uh, lunging for the steering wheel would require him to, like, crawl across the limo, you know, and then, and then usually there's a, there's going to be a, a screen or something there. He's going to reach across. I don't know if maybe there's a glass. A lot of times there's a glass kind of screen in the limo, so maybe he punches through it breaks the glass, dives over the driver's seat, takes the the uh, the steering wheel. That's the claim anyways. Like something like that is what she's saying happened. But there may be some problems with this version of events, just a few. The Daily Wire has the report. Former President Donald Trump's lead Secret Service agent is reportedly ready to testify that testimony given by a former White House staffer on Wednesday to the January 6th House Select Committee is false. Um Hutchison claimed, uh, as we know already what he claimed, um, NBC chief White House correspondent Peter Alexander tweeted, a source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential lim- limousine SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. So, yeah, you'd say just a few problems. A few problems with that testimony, with everything that we're hearing and with just the fact that we're still going through this, we're still harping on it. Listen, I desperately 
want to move on from January 6th. I think most people do. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's not that I want to move on. It's uh, or that most of us want to move on. I wouldn't put it that way. It's that we have moved on, right? Most of us, we moved on. You know when we moved on from January 6th? On January 7th, because it's the next day. And so you, you can continue living your life from that point, right? Um, I'm not living in a perpetual January 6th. Uh, this is not Groundhog's Day for me. I'm not Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day, January 6th edition. And that's, that's the case, I think, for most people. We've, we've moved on. We're living our lives especially given the state of the country, the state of the economy, we all have more pressing concerns in our lives than this. And so I've moved on, and I would like for um, D.C. to move on also. You probably agree. Here's the problem, though. If Donald Trump Uh, runs and becomes the nominee, then I'm telling you right now, the whole campaign, the whole campaign season, the whole election will not be about Biden. It won't be about the Democrats failing. It won't be about the fact that Democrats are making us poorer and less safe and they're transing our kids and all the rest of it. No, it won't be about that. It'll be about Trump and it'll be about January 6th and it'll be about the 2020 election. And Trump himself will lean into that. Uh, he, he will see to it that the 2024 election is about the previous election. Because Democrats, they don't want to move on, and neither does Trump. Neither of them want to move on. This is what they both want. And um, from a political standpoint, I can see why that's the case for the Democrats. Now, yeah, the January 6th stuff isn't resonating the way that it, they the way that they want it to, but They want to keep talking about Trump. This is just their way to talk about Trump. And why do they want to do that? Well, because what else are they going to talk about? Are they going to talk about what's happening right now? No, because it's all bad. They don't want to talk about Biden. They want to pretend Biden doesn't exist. So politically, it's a smart strategy for them to talk about anything but what's happening right now and to talk about anything but uh, the guy who's actually in the White House right now. For the Democrats, smart strategy. It's really their only strategy. For Republicans, it's an incredibly stupid strategy. Incredibly stupid. Okay, because if you want to win in 2024, all you have to do is point around at what's happening right now in the country and say, look at this, guys. Is this good? No, it's not good. But let's, let's, have, a, let's have a change of management. That's essentially all the, all the pitch has to be. Trump's not going to do that, though. He's going to spend the whole time talking about 2020 and the 2020 election. That's all he wants to talk about. He doesn't want to talk about anything else. You know, as, uh, as Ben often points out, you, you, you lose an election if the election is a referendum on you. So whoever the election is a referendum on, that person loses. Which is why in 2024, you want the 2024 election to be a referendum on Joe Biden. You want every conversation, go back to Joe Biden. That's who you want to be talking about, is Joe Biden. We're not talking about what happened in 2020. We're talking about what happened from inauguration until until this moment. Um, And I think you could even say, simplify it a little bit. You could say that you lose, right, if the election is about you. Like if it's just about you in general. Um, yes, as if it's a re- if it's a referendum, but if if the election is about you, then you lose. And I know that uh, 
that you might come back, you, you, your rebuttal to that might be, well, 2016 was about Donald Trump. It was the only thing everybody was talking about, and he won. And that's that's actually not exactly true because the the brilliance of of uh, Donald Trump in that election cycle is that he you know he actually made it about Hillary Clinton even though he was the phenomenon, and he's all the the media was interested in talking about, and there was obviously a whole lot of enthusiasm behind his campaign. He was always bringing it back to Hillary Clinton. He made the election, and in terms of people going to actually vote, go to the ballot box on on uh, on election day, he made that about Hillary Clinton. Lock her up, all the rest of it. That was about Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, which is a smart move, and obviously it worked. Well, in 2024, we need to think about um, who the election should be about. And very clearly, you want it to be about Biden, who's going to be 82 years old, full-on, full-swing dementia. He has utterly failed in every single way. He's made everyone's lives worse. Everything he's done has been an abysmal failure. It's, it's, it's so far the most incompetent, most disastrous presidential term in American history. And that's not an exaggeration. And that's all we should be talking about. So, DeSantis 2024 is my point. Now that, you know, DeSantis runs, the Dems, they're going to try to make the election about DeSantis. They'll try to do that. And that's great. That's what we want. Yeah, make the election about Ron DeSantis. Because let's, let's go look at Florida. Look at what he's actually done in Florida. Okay, he may pass the don't say gay, gay bill. No one can say gay in Florida anymore without being a, if they say gay, then a drone flies overhead and executes them on the spot. Yeah, go ahead. Let, let, let them go into 2024 talking about that and making those kinds of absurd claims. And then Ron DeSantis can say, yeah, I, I'd love to talk about what's happening in Florida. Florida is the free state. Florida is thriving while so many other states are you know, uh, decaying and falling apart. All right. So we've heard a lot from AOC this week. We already heard her, heard her on uh, this show in the, in the uh, opening monologue. She's been all over the place. She, she's like an actress, you know, with a film to promote. In fact, that's exactly what she is, minus the film to promote. So that's why she was on Colbert last night. And uh, here's what she said. Another, another hilarious, really funny segment, by the way, on um, Stephen Colbert. Let's listen. The Supreme Court has a power, but its power is in whether its rulings are heeded and respected, and if so, how much and to what extent. And when we have the framing of, you know, the, the framing of our government, the presidency, Congress, the president, Congress, and the Supreme Court are supposed to be three co-equal branches, co-equal none with supremacy over the other. And when any one of those branches overreaches its authority, it is the responsibility of the other two to check the overreach of, of, that, of that authority. The Supreme Court has engaged in the overreaching of its authority in denying the human and civil rights of any pregnant person or person that could become pregnant in the United States of America. They have engaged in overreach, and it is the responsibility of the president and Congress to put the Supreme Court in check because they have delegitimized them. This is what Stephen Colbert is doing now. This is his whole week of shows. He's just bringing politicians on to talk about abortion. That is the comedy. Sh that, that's the week of comedy shows that Stephen Colbert is putting together. Pretty amazing. Um, not that amazing. It's a, you know, it's, we live in a post-comedy 
culture in many ways. So this is kind of what you expect. Uh, of course, everything that she's saying there makes no sense. Whatsoever. I mean, it just makes no sense. It, it, it's not even on the premise, even on the left-wing premise, it doesn't make any sense. This was the opposite. This is the opposite of everything she just said. The Supreme Court decision is the opposite of that. She says it's overreaching, claiming more power, all this. No. This is the Supreme Court getting the federal government out of the issue. Giving it to the states to decide. Okay, that's, that's, that is the opposite of an overreach. When, it, when a branch of the federal, of, of the government says, we're getting out of this business here, okay? We're, we're, we are pulling away from this issue and we're going to let states decide. When that happens, okay, that is the opposite of an overreach. If anything, if you really want to criticize it from the left-wing perspective, then you should be saying it's an underreach, okay? They um, are underestimating their own power. That, that would be the actual criticism if you wanted to make one against the decision, which there isn't a valid criticism against it because it was, a, it was a exactly correct decision, wonderfully explained and argued. But if you were going to make an argument against it, that could even begin to make sense. What you really should be saying, what you mean to say is that it's an underreach of, of, of authority, of governmental authority. So, once, as always, it's opposite day with uh, AOC. And, and by the way, when I talk about sending this issue back to the states, that is what the Supreme Court did. That was the right decision, all of that. Um, I say that even though I personally, like ultimately, I, I, don't, I don't think that this is an issue. Well, yeah, the state should just decide whether to kill babies or not. Um, what, I, what I think needs to happen is that there needs to be a personhood amendment to affirm, reaffirm, restate, clarify, whatever, that you have a constitutional right to life. That's what should happen. Meaning that it, as, as a state, you actually don't have the authority to pass a law saying it's okay to kill babies. I don't think anyone has that authority. I don't think that's a power that anyone should have. I don't care if you're your own state. There's nothing, nothing, nothing uh, magical about being in California that all of a sudden makes it okay to kill babies. So I'm in favor, and I think the entire pro-life movement should be in favor. This is not something where we can say, now oh, the states are deciding, yeah, we're, we're, we're good now, let's move on. No, they're still killing babies, and you have no right to do that. The right to kill babies does not exist. So I am ultimately in favor, and I think our, what we need to do now is, um, is that needs to be the next, that's the next step is protecting babies all across the country from slaughter. But that's not what the Supreme Court did. They just got the federal government out of the abortion issue completely, for now, anyway. All right. Um, and here's, this is also interesting, because AOC, we just heard how this is an overreach and everything, and even though, again, it's the opposite. But here's AOC giving her, and then we've heard this from, from many leftists, this is her idea for how we get around Supreme Court, and let's listen. I'm starting with the babiest of the babiest of the baby steps. Open abortion clinics on federal That's land right. and red states right now. Right now. Right now. 
A lot of irony to using the phrase baby steps there. So didn't she just, didn't we just hear this stupid woman going on and on about we're co-equal branches of government? And now you want, now you want the executive branch to just usurp the Supreme Court, ignore it, and start start setting up their own abortion clinics? Uh, and and that, like go to Yellowstone Park and set up an abortion um, metropolis, like a, a, a megastore, a a Walmart of abortion on all these uh, on federal land and in, on on national parks. So she gave that little speech about she she wants the executive branch to usurp the Supreme Court, erase their decision effectively, and then right after giving that speech, she goes to Stephen Colbert and says, "We're co-equal branches of government." Meanwhile, the media is running hit pieces on uh, pregnancy centers, and there's a point I want to make about this. But first, let's play. Let's play. Go ahead. They're calling for these nonprofits to be regulated and demanding accountability for a program called Alternatives to Abortion, which helps fund crisis pregnancy centers. In Texas, they outnumber abortion clinics nine to one. When I say alternatives to abortion, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, Waste of money, waste of taxpayer dollars, lack of accountability, and actually no metrics that indicate that it has anything to do with averting abortions. This is a program to make Republicans feel good, like they're doing something to help women. Does it help women? No. Okay. It is a waste of money to try to help women in their pregnancies unless you're going to kill the baby. If a woman is pregnant and she's in a crisis pregnancy, which sidebar there, um, since the left is always changing terms and labels for 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 uh, for things, I should all note, in fact, that um, crisis pregnancy centers don't really call themselves that anymore. That's not the term anymore. It's actually pregnancy resource center, uh, which I think is actually a better term. And this is a case of you know using a different term, clarifying the term, not to confuse people, but but to just use a more accurate term. Because it's not just, you know, these, these pregnancy centers are not just for women who consider their pregnancies to be a crisis. It, it is for those women, but really it's for, they're not going to turn any woman away. So it's, it is this providing resources for women who are pregnant. And what we just heard from those two hags is that if a woman is pregnant, it is a waste of money to do anything but kill her baby. That's how you can help a pregnant woman is by making her unpregnant through, uh, through killing the baby. But providing your resources is a waste of money, a waste of time. Why would you want to do that? And that is all that the pregnancy resource centers do. They provide resources for pregnant women. Now, there's another point I wanted to make here. Um, because I'm seeing a lot of headlines. We know that pregnancy, pregnancy centers, okay, they're, uh, they're stepping up to the plate in a big way. Even as they're being attacked on one hand by these uh, left-wing militants who are setting their centers on fire defacing them, all that. They're getting bomb threats and death threats. And then they've got the politicians coming after them, the media coming after them, but they're still stepping up to the plate. Meanwhile, we're being told all these stories, all these uh, supposed sob stories about abortion clinics closing down. So the New York Times um, on Friday said, Friday's ruling prompts confusion and closures at abortion clinics. There was another headline about how, you know, all the abortion clinics across Texas are shutting down. All these abortion clinics are shutting down, right? And we're supposed to be very sad about this. Now, for one thing, I'm not sad in the slightest. Usually, in most cases, when I hear about businesses closing down, people losing their jobs, 
I am sad about that. It's, it's, in most cases, I'm not happy about someone losing their job. Uh, but when we're talking about an industry that profits off of killing, off of the mass slaughter, the systemic slaughter of babies, that's different. Now, I'm, I'm quite happy to see those businesses shut down. Everyone losing their jobs. They're now unemployed. I think that's wonderful. You deserve to be unemployed um, if you've been making your money this way. But this is a little confusing, isn't it? Because weren't, weren't we told? We, we were told for, uh, unless I'm just hallucinating it now, maybe I'm, was it all a dream or something? Because I, I'm pretty sure that they told us for decades that abortion is only 3% of what these abortion clinics do, especially Planned Parenthood. They said that abortion is only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does. Only 3%, 97% of what they do, nothing to do with abortion. So why are they closing down now? All, all Roe v. Wade has done is in some of these states, it has removed 3% of their business. You take away 3% of, of, a, of their business and they just shut down immediately? Take away 3% of their business and that very day, they're closed down. What? How do you make sense of that is my question. Well, you make sense of it because nothing these people say is true. They just lie about everything. And of course, they lied about abortion being only 3% of the business. These abortion clinics, abortion is what they do or what they did anyway in a lot of these states. Past tense. Um, this was their. This was it. Everything else was just peripheral. Really, it was a smokescreen. All the rest of it. Everything else that they do. The cancer screenings, allegedly, a lot of these abortion clinics claim they do cancer screenings. They don't really. They'll give you a referral to go somewhere else to get a cancer screening. But all that stuff, whatever else they did, was all basically a smokescreen um, so that they could claim that, oh, no, we're just a medical. We're a medical clinic. We do lots of things. No, really, it was abortion. That's why you take abortion away, and they all shut down immediately because they got nothing else to do. And they're also not interested in doing anything else. Um, If they... When a woman comes in, a pregnant woman comes in, yeah, they'll offer a whole bunch of other services. But the reason they do that is, one, again, is a smokescreen. But also, um, they're trying to attract customers, get them in the door. And they have these kind of loss leaders, you know, to get them in the door, offer some of these free services. Because what they really want, they want your money for the abortion. And they're try- it's, it's basically trying to establish brand loyalty. Take abortion away. Not only are the businesses not uh, viable anymore. But they also have no interest in it. They don't really care. You think they care about providing cancer screenings to women? You think Planned Parenthood gives a damn if women get cancer and die? They don't care about that. They make billions of dollars killing babies. They don't care about anyone's life. And that's pretty clear now. All right, this was uh, pretty funny. Gina Darling is the host of uh, on uh, G4 TV, which I think is a, what is that, like a video game? network or something. I don't even know it still existed, but apparently it does. And um, she's a host for G4 TV. She learned in real time that the standard pro-abortion feminist talking points are no longer valid. So this is just, I love this. This is hilarious. She tweeted on January 24th at 9.06 PM. She said, here we go. She said, if men were able to get pregnant, this would have never been up for discussion. LOL. Um, F this backward ass S. And then, hour or two later, she, she follows up. After hearing from a lot of her followers who are pretty upset by this, she follows up and says, oh, wait, pardon my wording, 
Not sure what the proper wording is for this, but I guess people born with male reproductive organs? If that's not correct, please educate me. Sorry if that came off as transphobic. Uh, you got to love that. She learning in real time that her entire worldview has been reduced to ash and rubble by the trans agenda, which she is beholden to as a leftist. Everything she thought she knew about the world is gone. And all of her ways of engaging with issues and, and uh, talking about things, all of that is out the window. And she learned it in real time and is now scrambling around, begging the trans activists, saying, please educate me. Tell me what I'm supposed to say now. Hilarious, but uh, also, of course, rather pathetic. All right, I've had this. I want to mention this. Um, Daily Wire report says, Old school liberal investigative journalist Matt Taibbi told Ben Shapiro on this week's episode of Sunday Special that he lost friends for merely reviewing Matt Walsh on the Daily Wire's groundbreaking documentary, What is a Woman? We have a little bit of that clip from the Sunday Special. The whole conversation is well worth watching, by the way. You can go to uh, Ben's YouTube page and see the whole thing. But here's that part of the discussion. Go ahead. I had kind of tried to stay away from the issue. I, you know, it's it's complicated. I, I, I try to avoid issues that I don't know a whole lot about. Um, but I had I had done a couple of stories that touched on this basically from the speech angle. And I'd had a really unusual experience. I mean, I've been a reporter for 30 years now, and it's always the same method. You call around a whole bunch of people. You ask them all what they think, and then at the end, you kind of aggregate all the opinions and figure out where the story is. But with the trans issue, what I found is I would call some people, and they would talk to me, and then there'd be this other group of people who would be furious that you even called, uh, would refuse to have any kind of discussion, would call you a transphobe for even asking certain kinds of questions, and this is before you even have a point of view on the subject. Uh, so I was, you know, I, I thought that was odd. Um, and then I had done an interview with a woman named Kara Dansky, who is a, a feminist, a, gen, a gender critical feminist. And, uh, I, it's not that I purposely shelved it. I just didn't want to deal with the blowback that I knew was going to come. I, I kept telling myself it wasn't the right time. So, uh, I, I felt guiltier and guiltier about that as time progressed. And when Matt's movie came out, when one as a woman came out, I realized, um, I thought this was an opportunity to kind of fix the, that problem of having, you know, not run that interview. So I, I did both at once. I reviewed Matt's movie and ran that interview at the same time. And the, the response was unbelievable. J just for reviewing the movie, forget about what I said about it. Um, I, you know, I lost friends over that. There were, there were people who, who I've known for decades who, who have now have basically said that I'm a transphobe and I, I, I'm kind of out, out of their loop now. Simply for review, for acknowledging the existence of the film, he loses friends for that. So it's actually, it actually takes, it shouldn't, but it takes real courage simply to, to, to acknowledge the existence of a film that the trans activists don't like takes actual courage. Um, especially if you live kind of in the world that Matt Taibbi lives in, um, where you've got friends who are this, so you're going to actually sacrifice friends because of it. Uh, and, and also his, um, his write-up of the film, it was thoughtful. It was interesting. Um, he praises some aspects of it. He does criticize other aspects of the film. I don't agree with his criticisms, obviously, but he does criticize it. So it's not like a, I wouldn't call it a glowing review necessarily. He just kind of talks about it. He writes about it and, and gives his take on it and, and all that. And that's, that's like, that's what you're supposed to do. 
Right? Especially if you're a film critic, that's what you're supposed to do. But I just went to Rotten Tomatoes just to check because I hadn't checked in a while. And so we're up to over 5,000 audience ratings with a 97% score, which I can tell you, I'm a little biased, but that's impressive to have that high of a score. And still, now we're now it's four critic reviews is what is what was what there are as opposed to like most movies will have dozens you know even over like you know, dozens and dozens of reviews and um, these are not mainstream critic reviews one is from Christian Toto who writes for the Daily Wire another is from the Gospel Coalition um, and then Film Threat which is the closest thing to a mainstream critic reviewing the film and then a website called synagogues.com. that's it that, those are the Film critics who actually reviewed the film. All the mainstream critics from the very beginning made it very clear. That we, we, we all agree. We're going to pretend this does not exist. But it does. And you can go to whatiswoman.com and see for yourself. All right, one other quick thing before we get to the comment section that I cannot carry on with the show without talking about. Tragic news out of Florida. Uh, news 4 reports. A young rapper from Jacksonville, uh, Nehemiah Spottam Gottam Harden, was arrested in Miami on Sunday after trying to elude police officers while riding on an orange jet ski, according to the Miami Police Department. The 20-year-old was accused of risking people's lives and property during the pursuit that started near the Miami Marine Stadium in Virginia Key. Spottam got him best known for the success of his beatbox single after it climbed to the Billboard Hot 100's 12th spot in 2020. Um, Harden is facing charges of fleeing and eluding a law enforcement officer in reckless operation of a boat. Um, he also is wanted on uh, aggravated assault with a firearm charges and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Now, I'm sorry, but I don't buy a word of this. Reckless behavior? Possession of a firearm? Assault? Does that sound like Spottam got him to you? You mean to tell me that the same man who composed the heartfelt ballad Beatbox is also guilty of these crimes? I just don't, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't believe it. Actually, let's just play uh, a little bit of that song, because I'm always looking for an excuse to play Spot Him, Got Him on the Matt Wall Show. A little bit of that song, and you tell me if this story makes any sense with this in mind. Go ahead. You tell me that guy who looks like a sideshow Bob on methamphetamine. You're telling me that he is a criminal? That Spottam got him? Outrageous. Spottam got him as a, gener- a, a, a gentleman, a, ph- a philanthropist, a scholar, a man of dignity and decency. First they take down Pooh Shiesty, and now Spottam got him. Nobody is safe. Nobody. Let's get to our comment section. Who makes Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. All right, first comment says, can someone explain the sweet baby gang origin to me? I am a recent subscriber and I always just get curious about it every time he mentions it. Uh, We cannot explain it. We will not explain it. And you're banned from the show for even asking. Uh, 
Burns Dums says, sorry, Matt, but I believe that before a certain term, 12, 15 weeks, whatever, a woman should be able to make that decision because giving birth is just so painful. You can't force someone to go through a pain that you yourself will never experience. Okay, well, do you see the first problem here? You said before a certain term, 12, 15 weeks, whatever. Well, does what do you mean whatever? You can't just whatever. So you're saying that you want to draw a line somewhere. And I assume it's because you realize that the idea of um, killing a fully developed infant like five seconds before birth is barbaric. And so you seem to realize that. And you're right about that. And so you want to draw. But, but you also can't bring yourself to affirm the dignity and value of human life all the way from conception. So you want to draw a line somewhere. But you don't know where to draw it. So instead you say, uh, you know, just whatever. We're gonna, you can't whatever. You can't yada yada your way through that problem. That, that's, that, see, that's because that's exactly the point. If you're saying that up to a certain point, abortion should be legal, um, you need to be able to tell me the point. And the fact that you can't really name the point is itself the point. Because either you affirm the value and dignity, the inherent value of human life, or you don't. And uh, if you do, then the only point that makes sense is the moment in which that human life comes into existence, which will be conception. Um, if you're not going to affirm the inherent value of life then, then you really are not affirming the inherent value of human life at all. And if you're not affirming the inherent value of human life, then why should abortion be illegal at any stage? Why should it be illegal even after birth? These are all questions that you need to be able to answer and, but instead, you just kind of wave your hand at them and pretend they don't exist. And that's just, that's just not how this is going to work. Um, Matheson Guy says, We will all be in mourning at the canceling of Miss Gorman. So has Amanda gone the way of the panda. Beautiful. And uh, f- can I say far better poetry than anything Amanda Gorman has ever come up with. Vita Tipple says, I'm convinced that Matt Walsh in time will be regarded as one of America's greatest political cultural commentators. In time? So not right now. Banned from the show. Elise says, my boyfriend and I got pregnant after only nine days of being with each other. We were homeless drug addicts and our son saved our lives. We've been together for six years, coming up on August 1st. My family are my rocks. My son is our angel. Thank you, Matt. I love stories like that. And that's... um, you know, that's, you, you hear these kind of stories quite a bit. People that there's a, a pregnancy that's at first is, is not what you wanted. And then you embrace that life and, uh, and you are, you find that your, your, your life improves because of it through, through embracing human life, embracing your, you know, your vocation as a mother, your own life has improved in a, in, in what seems like a miraculous way. Um, you hear that a lot. And uh, you also hear on the other end, you, you, you also hear quite a bit people who do not embrace life and then live with guilt and resentment and regret for the rest of their lives. Um, and uh, finally, Bandersnatched says, as Matt danced, he made himself so open, so vulnerable. It's as though he was naked before us, even and especially his face and chin. You're very close to getting banned. For talking about me dancing naked, any kind of bringing those images up at all, even to me, is is just uh, not okay. I've already banned two people, so I'm going to let that slide. And also, you are affirming me as a dancer, which is what I am. So I really appreciate that. 
Tonight, the Western world's greatest political and cultural figures gather together on one stage. Now, I'm not talking about those old stiffs at the NATO summit in Spain. I'm talking about backstage live at the Ryman in Nashville, USA, co-headlined by yours truly. Uh, we couldn't wait till the 4th, so we're lighting the fireworks early, not literally inside the building. I mean, that'd be interesting if we did. And you can catch the show in all its glory on our live stream at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight by going to dailywire.com slash Ryman to give you a taste of what you're in for. Here's a look at last year's event. Welcome to the Daily Wire backstage live at the famous Ryman Auditorium. It was amazing. We were in the presence of greatness. The energy of having everyone on the same page was amazing. If your family member is still waiting for Fauci to give them permission to leave their house, it might be time to cut that off. (laughs) I'm actually pretty excited to meet all of them. I love everybody's opinion individually. I don't have a favorite. I like them all. I had found out a way to make football players cry in high school. My high school experience had been a lot. (laughs) I'm just excited to be here and be surrounded by like-minded people and to just, you know, feel that energy. Who should we remove from office? Yeah, you one politician, the most powerful politician in the country. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, <laughs> what are you talking about? We're doing culture here. I'm so thrilled to see this happening. If they say to half of the country, you can't, that half of the country needs to say, screw you, we will. So join me, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Claven, and the God King Jeremy Boring as we dig into the political and cultural issues of the day. Thanks to all of you. We're going to be celebrating some big wins this year, including the release of What is a Woman and also Terror on the Prairie. And if you're not already a member, we hope today that will be the day that you join the fight and help us win even harder. So go to dailywire.com walsh to get 25% off your new membership. As exciting as the last year has been, we're just getting started. So tune in tonight to Backstage Live at the Ryman to find out what's next. The fun starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can watch at dailywire.com Ryman. We'll see you there. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, now that the floodgates are open, there is no limit to the madness. You tear down the walls which distinguish inherently different things from each other, take fundamental human concepts and categories and drain them of all meaning, remove the definitions of words, replace those definitions with vague ambiguities, and you end up with unrestrained madness. And this is all by design, of course. That's why we now live in a country where, over this past weekend, a 29-year-old father of three took first place in a women's skateboarding competition, beating out a 13-year-old girl. But don't worry, this story will get even more absurd as we go along, so just sit tight and be prepared for that. Here's the report from the Daily Wire. It says, an adult biological male who identifies as a woman edged out a 13-year-old girl to take first place in a women's skateboarding contest held in New York Saturday, the feminist site Redux reported. Ricky Trace, 29, won the women's division of the Border Open for a $500 prize. Trace bested a field of biological females, including runner-up Shiloh Katori, and four other children, including 10-year-old Jory Lacora. Uh, quote, male wins women's skateboarding finals and money at the Border Open NYC, presented by DC Today, tweeted Taylor uh, Silverman, a professional skateboarder who's been critical of biological males competing in the sport. Now, Silverman tweeted a picture of the top six finalists, and um, if you look at the picture, you can see that second through sixth place ranges in ages from 28 to 10. But what they all have in common is that they're females. That's second through sixth place, all females. They're obviously females. You wouldn't even need the names or the context to know that they're females. You can look at a small thumbnail-sized image of a female's face and know immediately that she is a female. That's how clear it is. And that's why Ricky Trace stands out like a sore thumb, a man's sore thumb, to be precise. But I said this gets more absurd, so let's continue with the Daily Wire report. It says, 
Quote, last year, Trace became the first trans woman to attempt to qualify for Olympic women's skateboarding, submitting a virtual run for the USA National Skateboarding Championships. But the biological testosterone reportedly tested too high to allow entry as a female under the International Olympic Committee standards. So, he could not qualify as a woman for the Olympics, but he did somehow count as a woman for this competition in New York. This is the lunacy we end up with. Now that we've disregarded biology as a determining factor for whether someone is male or female, without biology, we're left with this ridiculous situation where an athlete might count as a woman in one competition, but not in another. This is what happens when you erase the objective lines of distinction and redraw them somewhere else, anywhere else. Wherever you redraw them, it will be necessarily arbitrary. So arbitrary that we're expected to see this skateboarder as some sort of shapeshifter inhabiting a male or female body depending on where he is and where he's competing. But we haven't even yet traced this rabbit hole all the way down to the bottom. Things get somehow even more ludicrous. Last fall, Ricky Trace did an interview with the USA Skateboarding YouTube channel, and there he discussed the process by which he discovered that he was a woman. After all, not but a few years ago, he was a mustachioed father of three in the military, and now he's supposedly a woman. How did this happen? Well, here's what he says. I didn't know that I could even be a female if I wanted to. It was just, it was, I guess, it was like something I envied. I envied females when I was a kid. I would envy their dress choice, their, their like ability to be pretty and cute and do things like that. So how did that go? Like, how do you come out to your wife about that and what's her reaction and what is your guys' status now? So it began, it began with me. Um, I, had to, I had to come out to myself, and that's, that's kind of where all that, uh, say, concluded, all that guilt and regret. Um, I, had to, I had to try to justify it to myself. Like, what is it that I've, I've been doing? What am I thinking? Who am I? What am I? Like, um, it, was, it was tough. It was a tough justification. Yeah, that's a woman there, we're told. You can just feel the feminine energy, right? But he, he envies women, he says. And this is remarkable only in that it was said out loud and on camera. It's entirely clear to anyone paying attention that many trans activists envy women and resent women for possessing what they know they can never have. That's why they're so often so you know, nasty and spiteful towards women. At a pride parade a few days ago, a trans person was marching around half-naked with kill the turfs written on his chest, openly advocating for the murder of women. Par for the course among trans activists. Now, Ricky Trace doesn't go that far, but he does admit to envy. He wanted to be pretty and cute, he says. And later in life, when seeking to explain himself to himself and to rationalize and justify his own past actions, he used that word, justify, he decides that, uh, well, he'll become a woman himself. Except not really. Because the Daily Mail published its own profile of this person, and they quote him as saying this. Okay, this, is, this is from him. This is what he said. I am 28. I have three kids. I'm married. I did my time in the military. I own a company. I've decided that I like being pretty and cute. So everything that goes with that is female. I love female bodies. I think it's a work of art. Now listen closely to this part. I know I will never be a woman because women are miraculous. They have babies and create life and do all that awesome stuff. I'll never have that ability, but I feel like I'm a woman. 
I would have wished to be born one, so I'll try to fill that image as much as I can for myself, and that pretty much involves being as cute as can be. So he says himself that he is not a woman and will never be one. He simply likes the idea of being cute, and he wishes that he was a woman, so he's decided to play the part. That's not my diagnosis. It's his own. I will never be a woman. Direct quote, his own words. Now just think about this. We're being called upon to affirm somebody as a woman, even though he does not affirm himself as a woman. We're being asked to be more confident in his womanhood than he is. So this goes beyond the insanity of being forced to agree with a person's deluded self-perception. In this case, we are meant to help him shape that self-perception. He simply, as he says, likes cute things, and he's envious of women. Uh, it, it, it falls to society, then, to take this raw material and form it into a shape of a, of a self-identified woman. Also note that he's on drugs as part of his transition, quote-unquote. That means a doctor prescribed him hormones to be a woman, even though he doesn't actually think he is one. Again, it's not just about affirming self-perception. It's about shaping that perception and then affirming it. Society has now been given the project of creating new trans people. Of course, the left has been already doing that quite eagerly for a long time, but now everyone else is expected to participate. What other conclusion can we draw from the fact that we are expected to refer to somebody as a woman and treat them as a woman, even though he only says that he wishes he was one, not that he is one? We're supposed to grant that wish, except that it's a wish nobody can grant because men are men and women are women. And Ricky Trace is today canceled. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Jeff Tomlin. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 